Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. We are moving on in this interesting book, First Timothy, uh, Paul's letter to his spiritual son. And we are now in chapter five, where we've been talking about order in the church. We've looked at the church and its message, the church and its members, the church and its minister. And now we are talking about the church and its ministry. Um, last week, we began to look at the ministry of the church to older members, generally speaking, where Paul uh, gave Timothy that guideline that he should address elders as though he's addressing his father. Um, and then we spent a good time also looking at the ministry of the church to older widows, those that by Paul's definition in this letter are widows indeed. Um, maybe before we then move on to the younger widows, let me just give a couple of um, disclaimers. And one would be that let's remember that these stipulations, these um, principles that we are seeing here, they have nothing to do with generosity between members. Like if I want to be a blessing to someone else in the church, I don't have to come and ask, is the person 60 years old? Is the person a widow? Is the person this? Is the person that? No. In fact, if you read the book of James, he encourages us to be generous like that within ourselves, within the family of God. Be a blessing to whoever you want to be a blessing to. Uh, but when the need arises for someone in the church to be helped by the corporate resources of the church, then of course, accountability sets in. And that's why we, we need to have some stipulated principles that will help us ensure that we are not, quote and unquote, wasting resources, um, or we are not neglecting an opportunity to call a family to order. So you see a widow that has well-to-do children and yet the widow is suffering, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incorrect situation. Rather than the church helping that widow, the first thing the church wants to do is to call those sons or children to order, to let them know this is your responsibility, take care of it, and not miss out on the blessings of doing exactly that. Um, so yeah, that's, those are the kind of things that are, that these principles that are being stipulated here will guard the church in doing rightly. Um, and the other side to that, okay, which I've already mentioned again, is that it doesn't negate or stop people from helping one another as the Spirit leads. The Spirit of God will continue to minister to you to be a blessing. You are, you are a channel. Always remember that. All of us are channels. We are not, it's not about me. It's not about you. At the end of the day, you want to be sure that the blessing of God that is coming to you is not just coming to you, but also coming through you to other people. That's when you are blessed. That's when you are a blessing. It's not just um, to be on the receiving end of it alone, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we've uh, looked at speaking to elders, uh, older members, and then to old widows. And today we'll be moving on to Paul's counsel when it comes to the ministry of the church through the leadership of the church to younger widows. And we'll pick that up from verse 11 thereabouts. 
Okay. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 11 to verse 16, still reading from the New King James Version. But refuse the younger widows, for they have begun to grow wanting against Christ. For when they have begun to grow wanting against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not to say. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who have really widows or those who are who are widows indeed um, to use the same phrase that we saw before i thought to also read that passage to us from the voice translation because i think it also begins to clarify some of the things that might look confusing in those few verses we read it says don't add younger women to the widow role to the register of those that the church should help, which he has stipulated uh, from where we read last week. Don't add younger women to the widow row because when their desires for pleasure overtake them, they get careless in their devotion to the anointed one, to Jesus. Their constant thoughts become, I want to get married. And such thoughts disqualify them because they have tossed aside their first commitment to him. Plus, they get into the habit of being idle. Not only are they do, but they band together and roam from house to house, gossiping about and meddling into other people's business. They talk about all sorts of things that should never be spoken of. That's why I think it's best, Paul says, to have the younger widows remarry. Let them have children. Let them take care of their household so that the enemy gains no opportunity to come with accusations against them, in the add. Verse 15, unfortunately, some have already lined up behind Satan. So tell any woman of faith, if you have a widow in your family, help her so the church is unencumbered and is free to extend aid to the widows who are truly in need of its help. The other thing I wanted to chip in before we began to begin to unpack this is also to remind us that, like we said last week, this is not only applicable just exclusively to a widow-widow con context. Um, of course, from these few verses that we read, you could see that there are some specific things going on in that church that is really warranting attention. This is not, um, Paul would not say this to every church. Um, he's saying this because he's aware of some things that are going on in the Ephesian church at the time, a church which, by the way, he himself has pastored and stayed for 18 months ministering to them uh, and taught them the whole counsel of God, he says, in his testimony to the elders in, in Acts. Uh, so it's, it's a church where Paul has spent a lot of time and effort. And yet, even with such a, an erudite teacher like, like Paul, who was engraced of God in, in great dimensions, if these kind of issues are still happening, I think we shouldn't be surprised whatever issues we might be discovering in the churches of today, uh, because it's not about the teacher at the end of the day. The Spirit of God, we need needs to continue to remind us of the truth and make us doers of the same. So I thought to, to quickly put that down. <clears throat> so Paul seemed to imply in verse 12 that there is a kind of agreement or there was an, an, an agreement of some sort between the widows and the church for those widows that the church 
would be helping. There seems to be an agreement that they would remain widows and serve the Lord. Um, of course, that's not expressly stated, but if you read between the lines, it's saying that you know it will a time will come when if they are young widows, rather than focusing on these agreements, so to speak, they would say all they will be thinking about is we want to get married, we want to get married, and that would dampen their commitments to the spiritual responsibilities that they are saddled with, which even if there was no agreement, again, we have laid it out from last week's teaching that the kind of people that Paul deemed fit to be helped by the church would be people that are also willing to give back to the church. Of course, not in kind, not in cash, not in not monetarily, but they are willing to give their time. They are, we've seen the commitment, we've seen their involvement in the everyday life of the church. So in, in effect, the church was kind of hiring those widows as servants to the body of Christ, you could say, and they have pledged to serve the body as the body has pledged to support them for the rest of their lives. However, if the church is extending this opportunity to younger women, the, the, the point that Paul is making here is, and he seems to have seen it play out because he said some of them have already started turning away and following Satan. The chances are high that for someone that is young, you still want to get married. You still want to live your life to the full in a manner of speaking. That's why I gave that age range of 60 to say someone that is 60 would start thinking in the, in the first century world that we're talking about, the mortality rate is not that high. People die quite young. So for you to have even lived up to 60, well done. By that time, you already know that your time is winding up. If you live up to 70s, 80s in the first century world, you have lived extremely long. And so Paul is saying that let's set the age really high because we know that by that time, those people are not thinking about, nobody even wants to marry such a person again in a manner of speaking. Um, but the younger ones, they still have their lives to live. So why not suggest to them to actually go ahead and remarry? Because if you have time on your hands, and the church is giving you some weekly support or periodic support that is catering for all your basic amenities, you become idle. And of course, is it an English proverb? I don't, it's not the Bible that says, but it's a biblically accurate postulation that an idle man is the devil's workshop. If you are idle, the devil will get you busy. And so in this case, those people are busy gossiping and moving around from house to house, poking their nose in other people's business and doing all sorts of things because they have the time, they have the energy, and they are not committed to what is supposed to have taken that time, which is their commitment to, you know, be involved in praying for the church and in, in, in giving back spiritually to the church. So Paul warned Timothy against using the charity ministry or the welfare package of the church in a manner of speaking to encourage people to be idle. We live in a, in a society where we've seen this play out, people that live on benefits um, and some are indeed abusing that privilege to the extent that the benefits they are living on makes them idle. At least they have enough to get by. And so they can indeed even live larger or more recklessly than those that are diligently working to forcefully. That's exactly the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. So the following biblical principles for godliness can be deduced from what we've just read. First, to extend charity without legitimate need is harmful to the individual, it's not helpful. If you're giving someone 
what he or she needs or has asked for without any legitimate need for what you are giving him. You are not helping that person. You are actually damaging the sense of responsibility that that person is supposed to have because it encourages deception and selfishness, which is born out of greed. You are fueling a, a selfish propensity by giving such a person what is not legitimately needed. The second principle we then can deduce from that is when you work to support yourself, that's a healthy and necessary contributor to godliness. It says something about who you are, not just as a human being, but as a child of God. If you, if you are diligent enough, if you understand your work as a ministry, if you see the fact that you go to work, hand money to take care of yourself and your family, that's a noble thing to do. That's a blessed thing to do. It's, it's something that contributes, you could say, to your godliness. Because otherwise, you would have been idle. And if you had been idle, then you would have had more time uh, to distribute between serving the devil and serving God. <laughs> Conversely, idleness and ease of living is a recipe for encouraging the sinful flesh. That's, that's, the, that's the crux of what we are saying here. And what we are seeing play out in those six verses that we have just read. When someone is idle and at the same time comfortable, that's a perfect recipe for the sinful flesh to begin to manifest itself. The flesh will begin to speak. I have a teacher back in secondary school. If you are sleeping in class or doing something that is uncomely, we look at you and say, is your flesh speaking? Is your flesh speaking? <laughs> this is how to get the flesh to start speaking. So these principles remain true irrespective of a person's wealth or age. So what we want is to remain forever engaged in serving the Lord and providing for ourselves as a means of godliness. Uh, we can't say that enough. You want to be engaged at whatever age in serving the Lord and providing for ourselves as a means of godliness. And when we reach later times in life, we, we should simply redirect our time into serving the body of Christ. A good example that some of us here will be very um, aware of would be daddy and mommy and me will be in Newcastle. Who, by God's grace, have been a blessing to to host here in this assembly on, on different grounds. Um, just a few weeks, a few weeks ago, daddy called me and he was, he said he was at the airport and he was traveling with mommy to Canada and he was sharing his itinerary. Even the trip to Canada that is supposed to be three or four weeks or so is filled with ministering here and there in Canada. And when they are back in the UK, despite the fact that they are retired, you, you are finding them on this Zoom meeting, they are ministering on this platform there still plugged into the life of the church where they're serving. That's, that's, that's a, a very good case study that we can emulate from that. Even in their latter days, in their, in their as old as they are, they are still redirecting the spare time that they have into serving the body of Christ. In summary, we must always be serving and never idle. That's, that's the principle that we can easily deduce from those few verses that we have read. Please, if you have any question, you can raise your hand or stop me at any point in time and let's have some interaction. So Paul's prescription for younger believing widows, we, we, we may read that 
those six verses and say, Paul is being insensitive. Little wonder I will say that the women should keep quiet. Little wonder I would do this. Little wonder I would do that. We could say he's misogynistic. All those instructions that we are reading about in First Corinthians, that we are reading about in, here again in First Timothy, is showing us that Paul himself has a problem with, with, with women. But of course, if you read <laughs> very many of his letters, you know that here is someone that really, really esteems many women, celebrates a lot of women in many of his epistles who are laboring in different ways to support the kingdom. Romans, which is his magnum opus, his most robust theological epistle, would be sent by the hand of a woman to go and deliver it to the church in Rome. And as the custom is in those days, the person that delivers the letter would be the first person to give an exposition on the content of the letter because he or she is supposed to be familiar with the author and the author has relayed the message to him or her to go on to pass the message on. So possibly, very possibly, the first person to do exegesis on the book of Romans is a woman by the name of Phoebe. And so it's not about whether or not Paul valued, values women or thinks that women are nothing and so they should just shut up when they're in churches. No. On the one hand, there are many practical hands on valid facts and details that he was working with as he was writing these things, which are contextual for the different churches that he was writing to at the time. And of course, contextual also in the sense of the community that those churches are located in. Ephesus is known for... A, a, a very major feminine deity. Um, Corinth is a big city as well that you could have all sorts of influences going on. Those are part of the things that are shaping the kind of things that we see in this letter. So we must see beyond just the letters to the spirit behind what he's saying. And so rather than read those few verses and say Paul is being insensitive, Paul is being misogynistic, is being um, downplaying of women and just esteeming being a man, the, 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 the point is, if we read between the lines, we will see how sensible and how timeless those principles are. Just look at the few things we have just drawn from it. That if you are idle, it's a danger. If you are idle and comfortable, it's even more dangerous. And so there is great worth, great value in ensuring that you de develop and pour yourself into serving God at whatever age you may find yourself. And so on that note, he has the young, he suggests that young widows should be asked to remarry and to return to the calling of being a wife and being a mother. These were not lesser roles in the society. I mean, the way it was worded can sound, how can Paul write like this? Let's read it again. It says, um, I think it's best to have the younger women remarry, have children, take care of their household so that the enemy gains no opportunity to come with accusation. And you can think, is that all there is to being a woman? Just for me to marry, to have children, to take care of my house. I'm not a full housewife, whatever, whatever language you want to you know, give to it. But the truth is, this is the description of a virtuous woman in those days. And I think to a very great extent, this still remains the picture of a virtuous woman if we are going by biblical definitions and roles. That's not to say that you should not explore your gift and serve God. That's not to say that you should not um, give expression to the callings that you have received. Um, but the point is that if you read, for instance, the Proverbs 31 women that we talk about, this virtuous poetic presentation of who a virtuous woman is. That's, that's what you find. You find someone that caters for the family, managing the household, and at the same time, well-to-do enough to 
have a business, run businesses, you could even say. And all we hear about the husband is that he's somewhere in the city gates and he's been treated as a nobleman just because he has that kind of a woman behind him or that kind of a woman running and making things happen in the background. Such a person, he says, will be blessed, will be praised, irrespective of the physical definitions and worldly definitions of contemporary feminism. Mm. We want to come back to see what it means. If you are prosperous outside as a woman and you failed at home, you are failed as a woman. It's as simple as that. Because that's the biblical um, standard when it comes to these things that we are talking about. So anytime we operate outside the course that God has appointed for us, we are operating on the enemy's territory. We are operating on the enemy's ground. We are opening the door for the enemy to attack. So while gender roles have always been flexible, even in the first century, like I've just pointed out, it's flexible. It's not cut in stone. It's not women do this, men do this, and things like that. We've seen women do things that will be like, What's going on here? I mean, Mami Ogbena gave an example of Deborah leading the men to battle, even if she would first of all defer to the man and the man says, no, I don't think I'm up to this. I, until you come with me, then I won't be able to, and things like that. The Lord designed the family and the marriage to operate in a certain way according to his purposes and wisdom, and the enemy would love nothing better than to see those assignments tossed out of the window. And, and so when we read passages like this, or when we read passages like chapter two, where we had this interesting debate about women keeping quiet, we want to stand back and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us here? The, the issue is not about um, downplaying on any gender, no. It's about acknowledging the biblical roles and responsibilities that has been given and seeing how best we can leave that out in the context that we are living in um, currently. Sister Lioness, let's have you, and then we'll begin to land it. All right, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I just wanted to follow up on the issue of being idle. All right, so again, um, everyone knows that I'm a single mom, and I and I knew that as at the time last year, um, my two boys are going to be in full-time education, and that will accord me a few more hours during the day, as opposed to running in between school runs. And I think I made a prayer to the Lord um, and I asked the Lord that God, um, because it took me time, I asked the Lord and I was saying, God, by the time my children are gonna be in full-time education, I don't want to be idle. I don't want to be unnecessarily idle. I just don't want to not have something tangible to do, to lay my hands on that is of God anyway, not just anything. And I just wanted to testify to the fact that, you know, God has been helping me. Um, I, in fact, it looks as though that the time is not even enough because of um, so many things God has um, um, given to me. Um, well, um, yeah, given to me to handle. And I want to just appreciate God for that because, you know, one thing I didn't want to do was just be idle and not do anything. That's when you begin to see things and are not right on social media and you just have all the time, you know. But I thank God because um, he helped me against that, you know. I, I don't know what came over me. I just started praying that prayer unconsciously, asking the Lord that I don't want to be unnecessarily idle. I just don't want to not have things to do. And I thank God he answered. Just wanted to share that. You are muted, Pastor. 
Sorry, <laughs> that must happen. Maybe I pressed the space bar. Um, so I'm I'm thanking God for that contribution. Very very helpful. Thank you so very much for that. When you have foresight like that and pray prayers that are aligning with the wills and purposes of God, He stresslessly grants them. And I'm glad to hear that testimony. Thank you. Um, was there someone else raising up Israel? And mm, nope. Okay. All right, um, feel free again, like I said before, to stop me if you have a, a thought or two to share. So all that to say, just to assuage the, the possible questions that might be in anybody's mind, having read that passage about younger widows and a good application of that would be for single moms indeed. So thank you so much Sister Tosin for um, chipping in that example uh, and that testimony. It's it's not at all to be read in the sense that Paul is giving stipulations and instructions that are anti-women, no. If anything, he's trying to protect on the one hand to protect the integrity of the church so that the church will not become this place where people that are supposed to see the light and glorify our Father in heaven will see our confusion and begin to question what value there is to Christianity, as is the case in some places. We've seen ministers of God that have misrepresented Christ to the point where just the sight of them repels people rather than attracts people. And we don't want to be that. And so that's that's part of what is shaping all of these thoughts. But also on individual discipleship level, as a, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, Paul is writing all these stipulations and guidelines to help me begin to think, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to be the kind of person that would be said that is now worse than a non-believer. Um, simply because now rather than bring glory to Christ is bringing, he or she is bringing reproach to Christ. And that's really what is getting at, at this point. Of course, at the end of the day, we know that marriage is a partnership. But each partner has a special sphere of responsibility. If we are being brutally honest with ourselves, especially for the men, we will readily admit that half of what our wives do, we don't have the grace for it. We just don't. And that's not a problem. It's the way we are wired and the strength that God has given to us. So we have our own place where we play our biblical roles of doing what God has called us to do. And likewise, the, the, our wives have their own place in playing that role as well. Of course, the world we are living in now is such that both of us in very many cases need to pull resources together to be able to sustain that home. And sometimes that would involve material resources. And so that would necessitate that all of us need to have something to do to bring in some of those resources. But in doing that, we must not forget our place of primary assignment in that, in that regard. And the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. So while it's okay for a Christian wife and mother to work even outside the home, it must not destroy our ministry in the home. For if we work in order to have what money can buy, we must ensure that we do not lose what money cannot buy in the process. If you are working to get what money can buy, you want to ensure that you do not lose what money cannot buy in the process. In other words, priority and set it straight, set it right and set it well. And the Lord will bless us as we do that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Um, how do these principles apply to Christians today? First, <clears throat> We should always follow Paul's advice by applying these counsels in principle, if not always in detail. What do I mean by that? 
before the church would help a vulnerable member, basically, this is what Paul is saying. Before the church will help a vulnerable member who is truly in need, we want to first of all ask, is the need sincere and is that need justified? And again, now stop thinking about widows for a bit and just think of anyone, including you, that could walk up to the pastor and say, this is the serious matter that is going on and I need all the help that the church can give me. Oh, understand that one of the first things we will be doing as the leaders or those that have been entrusted with the responsibility to lead the church is to ask, is this need sincere? Is this need justified? And then secondly, the recipient of this need, this person that is coming in need of help, is that person worthy in conduct and testimony? This is not a matter of legalism or um, you know, people that are men pleasers. Again, we trust that the spirit of God leads the leaders of the church because leadership is service. So even that term can be misleading, but they lead by serving and they serve the same God that is the head of the church. And so there is a way it goes, there is discernment, basically, that's where I'm going, that is involved in this process. There are people that everybody may think, ah, this person is doing so great in the church, is always here and there and everywhere, but we see beyond that, to put it simply. And then what are the reasonable expectations for the recipients to repay the support in service to the body of Christ? In this case, like I said, it seems like there might have been some sort, some form of agreement between the church and these older widows to say, we are happy to help you. You have no one to help you. That's okay. We are happy to help you and to continue to take good care of you. All we are asking is serve God in this capacity or that capacity and, and stuff like that. And so there must be reasonable expectations um, of how this person is able to, again, not repay in kind, not repay monetarily, uh, but is this person what, you know, calling a few members together to say, oh, we need to rally around and support this person, as we've done in certain cases. So, yes, the rules might seem strict, but they are rooted in love. And love is not giving people what they desire. It is doing what is best for someone. And so sometimes love will not look like this person came to the church. I have this best business, this serious need. I want to start this business. I believe if I'm able to start this business on my penury problem is solved and the church says here you go take the money no that might not be love if there are more um, um, biblical ways to look at it and to point that person in in that in that regard so it's doing what's best whatever that would look like as the spirit of god leads that person um i think i should pause here and ask for questions if there are no questions we can go into this last part um, otherwise, we can just take some contributions and thoughts to wrap up on this point and then finish up next week so that we don't rush. Any questions, any addition? Ed Aguena, yes, sir. Ed Aguena, okay, go on. Yes, what about uh, older men um, Good question. that are widows that do was. not have anybody to help them? They don't have jobs. They are weak to work. They yeah. are old. Yeah. And they, they don't have uh, they are they don't have children or they even yeah. if they have one, they are not able to help. They mm -hmm. are not, they are not, they don't have that financial um you know capability to help. Yeah. So where do they fall in this? Because we'll be talking about old women and women. Good, good questions. 
Very good question. Um, of course, part of the reasons why Paul wouldn't even have bothered to look in that direction is the context to which he was writing, like I laid it out last week. Men are not at a disadvantage, women are. But on the one hand, the man can always, most men can remarry. On the other hand, they have the rights to work, they have the rights to many privileges that are shut out just by the structure and that the prevalent structure of the time shut out from many women. Again, there are exceptions to that. It's not like all women were poor in the first century. There were really some well-to-do women, some of which supported Jesus, um, according to Luke. Uh, but having said all that, what you're, the case you're painting now, Edward is just, again, another case of, like, like we said, this doesn't apply just in principle to widows alone. Anyone that is in need, indeed. In need, indeed. In other words, truly in need. There is no help coming from anywhere. There is no, no faults that the church can rectify. You know, for some people, all that is needed is for the church to step in and say, let's, let's have a dialogue with the eldest son that is choosing to neglect his father. What you are doing is you are literally bringing a curse on your head and, and show the person the biblical way to, to handle or to treat one's parents or elders. That's possibly something that could be done. Again, whether the, the, the recipient is a man or a woman, widow or widower, that's something that could be done. But whenever it comes to the, to the point where we know that this person is in need, there is no help coming from anywhere. There is still a family. There is always a family we all belong to, the family of God. And we will do our best as a family of God to help out in whatever ways that would be. For a man, that what that would likely look like would not be to put them on a weekly or monthly or whatever uh, payment, as the case may be. It will probably be to plug him or her, connect him or her, him in this case rather, to a source of livelihood, except maybe there are health issues concerned and the person cannot even, you know, move around again and things like that. Otherwise, we'll probably just tell the person to come and see Edelbena and Edelbena will connect him to certain opportunities that can help out. Edelfatukasi, please go on. Thanks for coming to the rescue. Uh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I think um, what, what we should just uh, have at the back of our mind is, you know, in summary, it's actually not really about widows or mm -hmm. widower, although Paul focuses on mm -hmm. this aspect. Yeah. But as it, how is it applicable to us nowadays? Mm -hmm. what, is, what is Paul trying to say to us is what we should be looking at. So most importantly, do as much as possible to help people generally. It doesn't generally. matter irrespective, mm -hmm. whether widow or not widow, mm -hmm. irrespective of people. It could be as simple as just helping somebody out by helping them even to do shopping. It could uh -huh. be as simple as that. It could be as simple as visiting someone. Uh -huh. It could be as simple as just calling somebody, say, ah, just want to check how you're doing and all those things. Yes, so yes, it's just a general being generosity. That's uh -huh. what we should have at the back of our mind. But when we try to zoom it or try to zero it down based uh -huh. on what Paul has wrote down here, then we begin to have a lot of mixed feelings within ourselves. Yeah, but yeah. when we have it at the back of our mind that what Paul or the Bible is telling us generally is just that we need to be helpful to one another. It does not matter, mm. you know, either widow or not widow, either, you know, a, a younger or older, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Just be of help to people generally. 
Yes. And it's really, really helpful and it's a blessing as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Very spot on. Um, Engineer Moyeli, please. It's my wife. Ah, Sorry, okay. <laughs> like, my question is um, Paul is emphasizing that they should be helping the aged widow, mm -hmm. the elderly one, because mm -hmm. they might not have the strength to walk again. Mm -hmm. So, my question is now when the church has helped the, the widow, let's mm -hmm. say, first time, Mm -hmm. developed her second time, third time, and mm -hmm. the widow's children, mm -hmm. they are not gainfully employed. Mm -hmm. Let's take um, that for a scenario. They don't have work to do. They don't mm -hmm. have, the school is on strike. So what, mm -hmm. can, what can be done? Is, will it be convenient for the church to be helping the widow all the time? Will the church not be tired? So that's my question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Again, we come down back to the context. The kind of persons that you just described is, I mean, if there are still some children somewhere, they don't even qualify based on this. But the point is, um, the, the point ultimately is that if it comes to the point where someone is obviously without help, it's not, you can't say a one-time help will stop it. The reason for all this strict standard is so that there can be enough to take care of those kind of people and not that and you are giving to someone that still has some other sources of help. Basically, we are talking of those that are totally, totally without help in this case, at least in the context in which Paul is writing. Um, but again, generally in our day-to-day -to -day reality today, um, the church will continue to help as much as they can, but help will go beyond take, take, take. There are many dimensions to what help can look like. Um, especially if there can be help towards the direction of actually getting that person to have a source of livelihood and become no longer a burden in that sense to the church. Um, Engineer Moyeli, then Sister Mason. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just want to buttress uh, what Edda uh, Fatukasi said. Yes, sir. I think something needs to be added to this uh, teaching. Mm. And that is what we call a relationship. Mm. Yeah. At least. It's it, it very important that uh, we have good relationship with people. Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody pray for bad things. Yeah. Even when good things are happening, you know, we need people, I mean, around us. We need people to support us. Even sometimes God can raise help from our side. Mm. We have seen people who, who train children beyond their children. They train other people's children. And at the end of the day, it comes back to them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Those are the people that are taking care of them today. Mm. So I want to believe that whatever we do in the house of God, in our family, among our friends, in our place of work, mm. let us always have a good relationship uh, with people. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Very spot on. Thank you, sir. Sister Misan, then go before Elder Agbena will go to lead us in prayers. Okay. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. So um, like you said before, that um these teachings they pertain to um church organization, not to yeah. individuals and their and giving in yeah. general. Yeah, that these um, principles they apply to church government or church mm -hmm, government. Mm -hmm. But um, my question is, can this also be applied to individuals? Because the reason I'm asking is, um, 
It's because something happened um, a few weeks back and it's been lingering till this week. Mm. So um, someone has asked me for something and mm. I've been able to, by God's grace, give some of it. Mm. Okay. But the person keeps um, um, put, putting pressure, pressure on me to, to do more. Sorry. Mm. Sorry about uh, putting, uh, putting pressure to do more. Mm. And for a long time, I've been, I, I don't have more to do yeah. or to give, but mm. I've been feeling that um, guilt mm. when I think about it, like, um, am I not doing enough? Should I do more? But I don't have more to give. But mm. I've been praying about it, like, let God find help for that person. Even mm. when the person was telling me the story, I know that it's not, uh, the story did not add up. But at, at least at the same time, I knew that the person obviously needed help. Mm. in one way or the other so that's why i'm asking like these things like because as i'm um, looking at it already going through this i'm having yeah. peace honest yeah. to god so uh, yeah that's my question thank you so thank you i will take out that the girl's contribution as well maybe he also has something to say to that i don't know thanks a lot hallelujah yeah just like uh, the question with someone raised about continuous assisting of the of the widow mm. uh, why the children are unable to maybe finish from school mm. and i i made mention of something the other time about assisting uh, maybe people that are okay can volunteer to help any of the children such that the children mm. can now stand to help the, his other siblings and the mom. Mm. And another thing I also want us to know is this. We, uh, I believe we are looking at this scenario with the fact that we, we, we are many in mm. our church. Mm. What of in a in a local ministry that the person is just starting and mm. there are just eight members mm. and one of them passed away leaving a widow mm. and ordinarily they've not been able to sustain uh, themselves mm. you understand because there are occasions which many people that god have used to start a church they will tell you that when they started no income they yeah. will go uh, uh, without food for several days. You understand? Mm -hmm. So if such a thing, do we still think that it's the church that has the responsibility? Mm -hmm. No. But I believe that there, are, there might be, with prayer, God might raise help mm -hmm. for the needy mm -hmm. in whatever way he can. So that's just my take. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Very, very helpful thoughts. If any other person has any contributions to the questions that have been raised, please feel free to. Well, one, one thing that, of course, I think is common to the last two contributions slash question is on the one hand, you cannot give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And the second dimension to that is also that when we are talking about giving, even as a church, it doesn't, it, money is not the only thing that we can give. Uh, for some people, I mean, I, I think was that was giving us all these variety of examples of what that could look like. Uh, there are some contexts where all you can give is prayer for a miracle. <laughs> if that is all that you have to give, give it generously. You know that you 
you are absolutely without means. Uh, all that the, all that the, 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 that you could do is just to pray for God to send help through whoever that he will send it. But I also want to reiterate the point on relationships that um, Engineer Morelli mentioned earlier on. You can't buy it. I mean, you, you can't place a price on it rather. Um, it's priceless. We are not limited to our relationships with ourselves as we are on this on this virtual meeting or to just the context of the people we know in church or even our immediate family. God has made it so much. In fact, between when Paul wrote this and now, technology has made it so much that you our family is anywhere and everywhere. Uh, our own is to ensure that whoever whoever God is bringing across our paths, we are being we are playing our parts in being the Christ they see, in being generous to them, in being helpful. Cast your bread over many waters, Bible says, and you will find them after many days. What that would look like, you don't know. But when you will be reaping the seeds of the things that you have done, even you will be amazed. Uh, there are there are widows definitely in the world now that don't they fit into this description of they are over whatever age they don't have any children surviving they don't have anybody taking care of them and they don't need the church's inputs because they have been taken care of why because of relationships and investments and seeds that they've sown in the past and so that that it goes way beyond that's why I said in principle there are many areas we can look at this from. But in principle, it comes down back to that. Let me be the, the, the kind of disciple that glorifies God today because I don't know what lies tomorrow. Many of the benefits that we have enjoyed, I'm not talking of government benefits now, but benefits of life are probably because you are reaping the seed that your own parents have sown. So what kind of, of seed are you also sowing for your own children to, to reap?